I have a story about myself and what kind of week I'm having. I uh, went to Taco Bell for lunch, um, and I they have a new drink called a pineapple whip freeze, which I bought, uh, assuming it would taste like a Dole Whip from Disney World, which it does. Um, you know how when you put a straw in a drink, some of it kind of, like, gooshes through the straw hole, and then it's, like, on the top of the drink? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that had happened. Um, I was sitting on my couch, uh, enjoying my delicious quesadilla. Um, I went to take a vigorous drink of my pineapple whip freeze, and the part that was on the top spilled on me as I was taking a drink. So I picked up a napkin, I wiped it off my leg, I thought I should get some water on this napkin so it doesn't become sticky on my skin. And then I thought, I don't feel like getting up, I'll just be really gross and like spit on the napkin a little bit, (laughs) forgetting I had a mouthful of pineapple whip freeze. (laughs) And so you can see where I'm going with this, but it was not my finest hour. Um, but it did highlight, uh, the need for me to be a little more mindful of my actions today after, um, spitting pineapple whip freeze all over myself (laughs) in an attempt to moisten a napkin. Welcome to I've Read That. I'm Summer. I'm Michelle. And this week we read Matilda by Roald Dahl. We read Matilda uh, and we're doing our best. We are. That's we're we're out here just trying our best like everybody else. Um much like Miss Honey does. Yeah, she really does try her best. I feel like when we get to I mean it's going to be a quick like, you know, we say it sometimes, but this one should be a quick summary. Um, I feel like if you had a choice, you would live life like Miss Honey in her little house in the middle of the woods. I when That's it, your aesthetic. When it got to the description of Miss Honey's house, I was like, wow, I'm so jealous. And then it was like, <laughs> Miss knew. Honey's so poor and the way she lives is disgusting. And I was like, oh... Yeah, I I wasn't, like, a fan of that, but I was like, this sounds like Michelle's dream. It really was. It was. I want to, maybe not the little, like, um, tiny camping stove, but living in a cottage for, like, a dollar a week. (laughs) And you were just talking about that, too. I know. And, And, like, going through a gate and eating margarine. It's the dream life. All right, so a little background information yeah. on Roald Dahl. Um, so this is coming from his website. So obviously some of it's going to be more, like, biased just toward him. But um, for the skinny, he was born in Wales. He went to a boarding school. And then after he finished school... Oh, well, actually, this is cool. So when he went to this boarding school, um, Repton is what it's called, mm-hmm. uh, they were invited to trial chocolate bars 
at the school. So that's kind of part of it is what inspired Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, which is really cool to know that that, like, always stayed with him, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, So after he finished school, he wanted to travel, and he went to Canada and East Africa. He worked for an oil company until World War II, where he enlisted in the Royal Air Force. Uh, He was 23. Mm -hmm. Um... He got, he received several injuries to his head, nose, and back because his airplane crashed. And so he recovered for a while and then he worked, um, instead for MI6 afterwards. So he was a spy, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, he got married in 1953 and he was married to Patricia Neal. She's, uh, an actress from America, apparently. Um, and after 30 years, they divorced, they had two children, and one of them died, unfortunately. Um, and then in about 1961, it looks like that's kind of when he started, it's, it says, quote, burst of literary energy. Mm-hmm. So he did James and the Giant Peach, then Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, and then he wrote, um, it's a more of an adult novel, Kiss Kiss, and then he did Fantastic Mr. Fox in 1970. Which I did not realize was him. Because I've only seen the movie. I, I haven't seen the movie, but I found out a couple years ago it was him, which I also didn't know. You know what I mean? But, yeah. <laughs> um, and he did Danny the Champion of the World, The Enormous Crocodile, My Uncle Oswald, and then the early 80s, he did The Twits, Revolting Rhymes, The BFG, and The Witches, and then he did an audio, uh, two autobiographical books, Boy and Going Solo, and then Matilda mm-hmm. was 1988. He did SEO Trot in the, in 1990, and then 1991, after he died, um, the Min Pins came out. So, he's he wrote a lot of books, and he died in 1990. Um, and there are museums to him, and obviously there's, like, the stage play that Tim Minchin did of Matilda, and all mm-hmm. these different things. Um, and then Michelle actually shared just now, do you want to, <laughs> do you have that article open still? There's a BBC article called The dark side of Roald Dahl, um, which goes into some detail about his life, um, but there is this pretty incriminating quote, uh, that Roald Dahl said in 1983, he said, there is a trait in the Jewish character that does provoke animosity, and he said, even a stinker like Hitler didn't just pick on them for no reason. Yikes. Yeah. So that's obviously a terrible thing to say. Yeah, and then he goes on in that article to say, specifically, he is anti-Semitic. Like, he (laughs) agrees with, like, he believes he is anti-Semitic. So, um, that's a little rough. Yeah, that's pretty, um, apparently not such a good person. Um, and it talks about, too, like, his, uh, relationship with his wife was kind of, sketchy, and he, like, cheated yeah, so, on her. <laughs> yeah, in biography.com, I was I was comparing the two so I could see which one I wanted to read more. He talks about how, like, or it talked about how when he, was when it was around the time he was um, divorcing his wife, he stayed with her for a while, and mm-hmm. she was having, like, brain aneurysms and stuff, like, not doing well. But then, like, shortly after they divorced. Yeah. This BBC article. I'm, <laughs> I'm starting to feel very gossipy. I'm like, this is what I heard. That, like, he cheated on her, and the years-long affair that would eventually end their marriage was with a friend of hers. Yeah. So, (laughs) you know, 
great author who created all these brilliant books and these, like, books that I loved growing up, um, but perhaps not the best person, which can be said for a lot of authors, I'm sure. Yeah, I, um, I feel like we've had this moment in almost every episode. <laughs> but we like to be transparent uh, about authors as best we can with the information we can find on the internet, mm-hmm. so that's why it was we felt like it was important to share, like, hey, here's what it says on his website, but also there's an article with some pretty, like, gross stuff that he said. So Yeah, and I'll post this on Twitter if people want to check it out and read it. I will say, too, this is the first Roald Dahl book I've actually ever read. Um, hmm. I had, I mean, I've seen the movie of Matilda... Um, mm-hmm. I think a lot of people have. Best movie. <laughs> and I liked it. I mean, that chocolate cake looks so good. Shout out Mara Wilson. She's fantastic. Yeah, Mara Wilson's awesome. Um, I really liked the movie of James and the Giant Peach when I was a kid. I watched it a lot. It's good. Gave me a little bit of trauma with some of those characters. It's a little scary. It's good. Yeah. It's good. <laughs> uh, but I never read the book. I never, like, read, um the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory book. I never read the BFG. Um, I just somehow, like, went my whole life without reading a Roald Dahl book. So, Uh, this is an interesting experience. Yeah, I And I have mixed feelings. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Um, I did the BFG, Charlie and Chocolate Factory, Charlie and the Glass Elevator, Mm -hmm. Twits, Matilda, The Witches, um... Yeah, I read a I, I, I read a good amount growing up. Um, and I remember doing, like, book projects and stuff on, like, the witches and mm. the FG in school. So I did. I, I enjoyed his writing, and I think it was good and funny. And that's even something else I... Uh, I can't remember if it was in his biography or if it was something else that I had saw, seen reading about him. But it said that, like, even though people kind of get on him or got on him for like his style of writing being like super cruel and children being really really cruel to adults and vice versa Mm -hmm. um he said he wrote it more for like the humor aspect because children's humor like children find other things funny than like what adults find funny yeah so and there's like as a child is gonna be different than reading (laughs) as an adult and there's like a like an exaggerated like kind of surreal aspect to his humor. Like yeah. It's pretty obviously not meant to be like a a literal realistic story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, it has like that satire feel to it. Especially with the things that uh Miss Trenchbull does. Yeah. <laughs> Which we yeah. can uh, uh, get into in more yeah, detail. Yeah, we'll get into it. Do you want to did you want to do this Slummery. Slummery, yeah, I can I can do it. Um so we start off the book Matilda, which I'm gonna say this right off the bat. I, I was surprised at how long it took to actually get to the plot of Matilda. <laughs> Cause I feel like the first half of the book is just Matilda's pranks. Yeah. <laughs> which was sweet. also entertaining. <laughs> but I was like, I don't remember this from the movie as much. I was I was I was waiting for the chocolate cake for a long time. <laughs> yeah, I think in the movie, um, it does happen because she, you know, she does 
the little pranks that she does, mm-hmm. and we can talk about it. Well, I guess we can talk about it because it's part of the summary. So, she has a not great life. Her yeah. parents kind of ignore her. They're really mean to her. She has a brother, and they dote on him, and she's kind of, like, invisible. Yeah. And she's sweet and, like, bookish before she knows she's bookish, and... She's a very um, young reader. Very, very young reader. And she, like, starts walking to the library by herself when she's, like, four years old. Yeah, and, and reading, like, like re- Great Expectations. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> reads all the books in the library. But um, part of her pranks, and they do show this in the movie as well, she, like pours her mom's hair dye into her dad's shampoo and you know i'm trying to think of another one that she does she uh she does something else to her dad doesn't she she, she's, like, she glues punishing him. his hat to his head she like, puts right super yeah, glue she, in the hat. yeah she puts it around the band of his hat yeah. and they have to like and that happens hat off too. His head. yeah so it's like it's showing like a lot of her pranks like you said and like little quirky things that she's doing but it's really like, specifically, they say it's as punishment for her father. Because yeah. he's being mean to her, and she's like, you know what? You deserve to be punished. And does these, like, little pranks to punish him. And it's just like, what are you talking about? Like, I don't know what you're talking about. Which is funny, but also, <laughs> like, oh. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I definitely feel like I, I really understand why this book appeals to children so much when I was reading it because there's so much just like wish fulfillment yeah like for kids who are like angry at adults in their lives for whatever reason like it doesn't even have to be like a reason of of like abuse or neglect like it is with Matilda like sometimes kids are just mad at their parents and they want to like have a little cheeky little fantasy (laughs) about like gluing their hat to their head um yeah I loved I I love this book growing up in the movie and everything and it's like I saw myself in Matilda yeah um, I think it's really like a, uh, sorry it, yeah it's I just no, you're good. I think it's it's so much aimed at kids who think they are like Matilda like yeah <laughs> you know like yeah. kids who think of themselves the as like smart yeah that'd that be nice be cool. but <laughs> yeah I mean like I was reading books when I was really young and reading through them quickly mm-hmm. and always loved literature and getting the AR points yeah you know reading above what the quote-unquote reading level for my age was um (laughs) so I really loved it and I thought it was whimsical and fun and going back reading it it's still good um but there's definitely some things in it that are a little more graphically described I guess (laughs) than I expected yeah um so we start off the book with an introduction that I found extremely off-putting, <laughs> <laughs> where the narrator um, talks about uh, how much he hates like mediocre children and their parents, <laughs> basically, um, and the elaborate insults he would come up for these, ch- come up with for these yeah, we children. Yeah, we were reading them before. Do you want to read read good. one? Uh, yeah. I'll take Maximilian. Well, yeah, I'll take Maximilian. Yeah, go for it. So, basically, he's talking about how, like, when parents dote on their children and they think that their children are so good, like, sometimes that's annoying. And he was like, if I was a teacher, this is what I would tell, like, the doting parents. I I would, you know, make things up about their kids. And it says, quote, your son Maximilian, I would write, is a total washout. (laughs) 
<laughs> I hope you have a family business you can push him into when he leaves school because he sure as heck won't get a job anywhere else. Which is awful. <laughs> Absolutely awful. I know, it's so mean, and it goes on for several pages like this. Um, oh, well, here's another one, sorry. Yeah, go for uh, it. So this is, or if I were fearing, feeling lyrical that day, I might write, It is a curious truth that grasshoppers have their hearing organs in the side of their abdomen. Your daughter, Vanessa, judging by what she's learned this term, has no hearing organs at all. So mean. I might even delve deeper into natural history and say, the periodical <laughs> cicada spends six years as a grub underground, and no more than six days as a free creature of sunlight and air. Your son, Wilfred, has spent six years as a grub in this school, and we are still waiting for him to emerge from the chrysalis. Like, and then there's one more. I guess I'll read that one. <laughs> yeah. A particularly poisonous little girl might sting me into saying... Fiona has some glacial beauty as an iceberg, but unlike the iceberg, she has absolutely nothing below the surface, which is awful. It's so mean. It's absolutely awful. You don't it's talk so about mean, that way. But at the same time, I'm like, yeah, a kid would laugh at that. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Even if they don't understand that it's like a dig at children. Yeah. But like reading it like that, if they understood, which to be fair, actually thinking about it, do you think a kid's going to get the thing about like an iceberg or the cicada like as an adult we understand this but like <laughs> i might i might not have gotten a cicada thing yeah so i feel like this is more like let's say like fourth thir third fourth or fifth grade like maybe the end of third grade mm -hmm. but really like fourth or fifth if you want to get a real understanding of some of the stuff because he does write it for children as if they were more, like, adults. Mm hmm Which is good. It's not like he's babying things. Yeah. Um, but you have to know where the line is, where it's like, is a kid <laughs> really gonna understand this? Yeah. Uh, there were a few things in this book that made me question, uh, how much he knew about children, but, uh, <laughs> anyway. Um, so, after that, uh, long, uh, few pages of insulting hypothetical children. Um, we introduce Matilda uh, and her brother Michael. Um, their parents, Mr. and Mrs. Wormwood. And it talks about, like you said, uh, how much they ignore Matilda and she's so smart and sensitive. Um, she's like way smarter than other kids her age. Uh, but Mr. and Mrs. Wormwood completely ignore her. They don't let her read books because they think that books are stupid. They only want to watch American soap operas. <laughs> and eat frozen dinners on the so couch. Ma yeah. So Matilda taught herself to read by reading, like, cookbooks and newspapers that were around the house. Um, and then she started walking to the library and reading. She read The Secret Garden, which yeah. was our very first episode. Which is funny, because I feel like every couple books or so, it mentions the secret garden. Right. <laughs> so, she reads all these adult books. Um, she starts taking them home. We get some more information about Mr. Wormwood. Um, so, he is a used car salesman. He's a total crook. He just, like, buys cars that are on their last legs. He turns back the mileage on them. With, like, an elaborate setup with a drill. He fills the engine with sawdust and all this other stuff. And 
sell these sells these used cars for more than they're worth and turns a profit, which is important later. Matilda kind of starts to realize that her parents are like, they're not just mean to her, they're like bad people. This is one thing I really don't like about this book. We get a physical description of her parents. And I feel like so much of this book spends like a weirdly elaborate amount of description and time correlating bad people with being like fat and ugly. Yeah, I the description of her mom um was very in-depth. And here's the thing like I haven't read this book since I was younger, mm-hmm. but I've seen the movie about a million times. And so, like, I think I watch it, like, once a year. Right. So, in the movie, it's Danny DeVito's, DeVito's wife that plays the mom, like, his wife in real life. I didn't know uh, that. That plays the mom, and she's, like, like, Audrey from Little Shop of Horrors. She's, like, this, like, twiggy, mm-hmm. blonde lady. And so, for me, like, seeing that as the character, and that's how I know it... And then going back and reading this, and they're, like, describing her as, like, he's describing her as overweight and having, like, these roles that hang over. And it's just, like, it's not ne- it's not necessary. You don't have to go into that much depth, like, saying how cruel a person is and then also be like, and by the way, they're overweight and so they're cruel. And, like, yeah. I don't know, it's really weird to me because they do the same, he does, they, I keep saying they, it's, he does the same thing later with the Trunchbull. yeah. That she's, like... Like, her whole thing. She's, like, tall and big and, like, masculine and muscular. Yeah. And, you know, Mr. Wormwood is a small, ratty-looking man. And he's, like, very non-masculine and all this different stuff. And then later you get, like, the good character, Miss Honey, who is, like, skinny and pretty and all this stuff. And I just... I really don't like that. And I also don't trust it. Like, I'm very suspicious of things that uh, use ugliness as, like, a shorthand for badness. Yeah. And especially when we uh, get into things like how anti-Semitic he was and all this stuff, it's kind of like, okay, so I, I think you actually do probably believe that the way people look is corresponded with their character. And that's yeah. too much for me. Yeah. It's a little, <laughs> uh, a little icky. I did think that as I was reading it, how that kind of made me uncomfortable, the description of her mother and yeah. everybody. And honestly, like, the picture of the mom, she looks fine. Like, I don't even think she looks that bad. Like, she just looks like a mom. Like a person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she looks normal. Like, um, but, uh, And I wonder, do they go, like, they don't go into d- descriptions about how, like, her brother looks. Like, they do. I don't think they do. The dad. brother's barely a character. Yeah, her dad's important, so they talk about that. But, like, any of, like, the male characters, for the most part, they, and there aren't a lot of male characters. No, but it's like they some don't, kids. like, go into detail. But all of the female characters, it's like, this is how this person looks, and this is, like, it's really specific. It does it with Trunchbull, like, multiple times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that was my tangent about uh, my biggest problem with this book. Um, which I think, I was talking to a friend of mine, and they were saying that that's common in, like, all of his books. 
which I actually believe. Um, but anyway. Uh, Matilda, seeing that her parents are like these awful people who are so mean to her, decides to start pulling these pranks on them, um, which she gets away with because she's much smarter than they are. <laughs> so she does, she puts super glue around the, the inside uh, brim of her dad's hat, so he can't take his hat off, they have to cut it off him. Um, she borrows a parrot from her friend. Yeah, that's or, funny. I forgot about that it's one. It's not a parrot. It's some, some kind of bird. Um, yeah, it is a parrot. Uh, she, this, like, frightened me. She sticks the parrot up into the chimney of the fireplace. In its cage. In its she, cage. Like, yeah. It's like, oh my god. They're gonna cook this parrot. Um, so... The, the point of that is that the parrot's talking, but they don't know where it is. So at first her parents think it's a burglar, and then they think it's a ghost, and they get really scared. Um, the parrot, for some reason, knows the phrase, rattle my bones. <laughs> Which is awesome. <laughs> um, <laughs> she, uh, what's the other prank? She puts, yeah, she puts her mother's uh, platinum blonde hair dye, so it's peroxide. Um, yep. Into her father's like hair product, um, and he ends up dyeing his hair platinum blonde, uh, which is of course horribly embarrassing for this man. Oh, awful! Because <laughs> he's got like black hair. Yeah. Um. Also, I think it's implied that, like, his hair is going to start falling out because it was, like, unconcentrated peroxide. Yeah. <laughs> and she poured All a lot. The mo- yeah, the mom was like, you're only supposed to use a little bit at a time. How much did you use? <laughs> um. <laughs> so bad. Um. And then we get the introduction of Miss Honey about a quarter of the way into the book. And Miss Honey is my favorite thing about this book. Um, she yeah, is, she's a very good character. Yeah. She is a kindergarten teacher at um, Matilda's school. I don't know. Do they call it kindergarten in English in England? Um, <laughs> it is in no, English. It's, it's like <laughs> probably in English. It's like a it's a primary school is what it is, but it's weird. So it doesn't specify that it is a kindergarten class. It says that it's like children who are in a certain primary age school group. Yeah, they're in, like, an age group. So, yeah. I just, um, yeah, I assumed it was, like, the equivalent of kindergarten. That's what I was thinking. Like, Matilda kindergarten first grade, maybe? Five. Well, so she's five and a half. Most children begin primary school at five. But yep. Matilda's parents, who weren't very concerned one way or the other about their daughter's education, had forgotten to make the proper arrangements in advance. She was five and a half when she entered school for the first time. Which, I didn't think that was that weird, but... It is kind of late, though, because people try to get their kids in literally, like, when they turn five, they're like, all right, start school. I know, but see, with me, I was almost six when I started kindergarten because yeah, my birthday was late. the day after the cutoff date. Yep. So I was always the oldest in my class. I was the youngest because <laughs> my birthday before was the right on the date. cusp. <laughs> so the head teacher, which I guess is, like, the principal of this primary school is Miss Trunchbull. Um, she is this, calls her the supreme commander, formidable middle-aged lady. 
Um, Miss Honey had a lovely pale oval Madonna face. That's a lot of adjectives. With blue eyes and her hair was light brown. Her body was so slim and fragile, one got the feeling that if she ever fell over, she would smash into a thousand pieces like a porcelain figure. Miss Jennifer Honey was a mild and quiet person who never raised her voice and was seldom seen to smile, but there's no doubt she possessed that rare gift for being adored by every small child under her care. So it goes on and on about how wonderful Miss Honey is. Which she is. I like Miss Honey. Yeah, it's like that, that, um, I mean, the whole thing kind of culminates into this one. It's like having that one teacher in your life mm-hmm. who you always remember as being like, this is the person who cared about me and who wanted the best for me and because that's what teachers do and that's Miss Honey. When you think of like that stereotypical teacher who yeah, like makes an impact on you, that's Miss Honey. And especially like kindergarten, first, second grade I think a lot of kids get very attached to their teachers as like maternal figures if their teachers are like nice and sweet so I feel like this is another thing that would be very relatable for a lot of kids in contrast to Miss Honey Miss Trenchbull is a gigantic holy terror a fierce tyrannical monster um to to be fair she's pretty awful but this (laughs) description is so bad Miss Trenchbull never walked. She always marched like a stormtrooper with long strides and arms swinging. Uh, if you ever met someone like her, you should behave as if you would if you met an enraged rhinoceros out in the bush. Climb up the nearest tree and stay there until it has gone away. Like. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so we're in the first day of class. Miss Honey is kind of like going through. She's telling the kids to always listen to Miss Trunchbull, never talk back to her. She's really scary. She's really mean. Miss Honey, though, she says she wants to help. She's going to teach these five-year-olds their times tables up to 12, which is the I most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. High school. I don't... <laughs> I don't know how third they do grade. things. We in, learned them in third grade. Yeah, I don't know how they do things in England, but I've never met a kindergartner who knew how to multiply. Um, that was one spot where I was like, okay, I know this book is very surreal and it's supposed to be funny, but I'm also like, does Roald Dahl like know any children though, <laughs> or is he just making this up? You know. And well, and that also makes me wonder if. Like, what we, were say- what we were saying, if it really truly is, like, a couple different grade levels in one classroom. Or, like, a couple different age groups in one classroom. Because if it's from, like... Because I remember learning times tables up to 12 in, like, third grade. Um, so, it could be this is, like, kindergarten, first, and second grade classroom. Or something. You know what I right. mean? Like, it could be a combined class and them just saying, hey, by the time you get to the end of the school year, you're going to know up to 12. Which, for kindergartners, is a lot to ask. <laughs> kindergartners can hardly... Even addition is a lot to ask from like, kindergartners. Yeah. Kindergartners... They can hardly spell their own name. You need to teach them, like, how to use safety scissors. Yes. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, so, Miss Honey, like, uh, catches on to the fact that Matilda's super smart. Matilda's, like, multiplying numbers up to, like, triple digits. Um... And then, this is the other thing I found very unbelievable. Miss Honey is, like, drilling Matilda for, like, ten minutes, and the other 17 children in this room 
are silent and doing nothing. I was like, this would yep. never happen. They're just <laughs> chilling, and Miss Honey's like, what's 342 times 12? I know. <laughs> like, I'm like, these kids would be, like, jumping out of their chairs. <laughs> and I, I actually felt really bad for all the other kids. It was like, okay, Matilda's the special one. Yeah. Miss Honey's gonna dote over, and all these other kids just get to do nothing. Yep. <laughs> for, yep. like, the yep. whole school year. Um... Matilda makes up a limerick about Miss Honey, like a very nice little limerick, and that makes Miss Honey really happy. Um, so they're they're very attached to one another right off the bat. I liked <laughs> I liked this quote that Matilda says. Um, I think Mr. C.S. Lewis is a very good writer, but he has one failing: there are no funny bits in his stories. Yeah. You are right there, Miss Honey said. There aren't many funny bits in Mr. Tolkien either, Matilda said. Yeah. Like, okay, Roald Dahl. <laughs> Roasting other authors. He's like, no, 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 that wasn't me saying it, was, it was Matilda. Matilda. It's yeah. fine. <laughs> but I think there is, like, um, that was kind of like a funny little meta moment of um, Roald Dahl's, like, writing philosophy, I guess, felt like was showing through. Because Miss Honey says, do you think that all children's books ought to have funny bits in them? I do, Matilda said. Children are not so serious as grown-ups, and they love to laugh. Which is true. Kids do love to laugh. So Miss Honey is super excited by Matilda, this brilliant little girl who can, like, read Tolkien and... (laughs) Um, do times tables. Um, she goes... Well, and she even says, she does say that she, like, when she first speaks to Miss Honey, she says that she can read it, mm-hmm. but some of the things she, like, doesn't understand. Yeah. So it has to do with comprehension. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Miss Honey goes to Miss Trunchbull to, like, report how wonderful this child is. And then we get another description of Miss Trunchbull. Um... We learned that she was once a famous athlete and that her muscles are still clearly in evidence. Uh, which is described in a very mean way. You could see them in the bull neck and the big shoulders and the thick arms and the sinewy wrists and in the powerful legs. She had an obstinate chin, a cruel mouth, and small arrogant eyes. She always had on a brown cotton smock. It just, it, it goes on so long and it's so mean. Yeah. She's mean, she's awful, she's plain, she's boring, she's hulking. Like, <laughs> And I think that's the meanest thing, is that, like, it's very clear about how, like, masculine Miss Trunchbull is. And yeah. I was like, that's, that's really mean. Um, uh, Miss Trunchbull does not believe Miss Honey when Miss Honey says that Matilda's talented. In fact, Miss Trunchbull bought a car from Mr. Wormwood recently, um, and Mr. Wormwood told her that his daughter was a little monster um so they have a fight uh miss honey is determined to help matilda and help foster her intelligence um she goes to visit matilda's parents and realizes how kind of awful and mean and shallow they are there's like several scenes of miss trunchbull just being mean (laughs) And, like, physically punishing children in very exaggerated, funny ways. Yeah, like, grabbing people by their ears and stretching them and grabbing them by their pigtails. And, like, because throwing them out like pigtails. <laughs> yeah. And so a friend that Matilda makes, Lavender, mm-hmm. um, she decides to pull a prank on Miss Trunchbull. 
Yes. Um, yeah. So, the Trunchbull, like, every week, at least one day a week, she comes in to teach a lesson to the class. And she always has to have, like, a pitcher of water. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, in every room, there has to be a pitcher of water whenever she comes in. So, what Lavender does is she offers to make sure the pitcher of water's there. And, like, the day before, (laughs) she catches a newt, like, in her home pond, like, the pond right outside her house or something. And... Puts it in the, the pencil bag, jug, like into the the pitcher. Yeah, she she keeps it. She puts it into the pitcher so that when the trench bowl goes to like drink the water, there's gonna be a newt in her yeah. water, <laughs> and it freaks her out. It is a successful prank, but then she blames Matilda for right. it, right? And Matilda's just kind of like, I literally didn't do it. I wasn't anywhere near you. I didn't do it. And Matilda gets angrier and angrier, and then. Like, the pitcher of water, like, knocks over and bumps into her. And Matilda's like, did I do that? (laughs) Yeah, Matilda's just like, that, this description, like, freaked me out. Like, she's, like, staring at the pitcher, and there's, like, electricity in her eyeballs. And then the pitcher knocks over, because, of course, Matilda has random telekinesis uh, two-thirds of the way through the book. Which is interesting and funny. Um, we forgot Bruce Bogtrotter. We have to go back to Bruce Bogtrotter. Oh, yeah, Brucey. Um, this kid, this really has nothing to do with anything, but it's such an iconic scene. Yeah, I think it's just showing how yeah. cool the Trunch Bowl is, which they continue to do. Yeah. Um, so this kid uh, ate Miss Trunch Bowl's cake slice, and she gets a special cake slice from the school cook. Nobody else gets cake this good. Um, So she has the cook make this gigantic chocolate cake for Bruce. And he has to eat the whole thing in front of everyone. And he does. And it's this really amazing moment where, like, she had expected him to, like, stop and get sick. And that it would be a punishment for him. But he kept going and kept going. And all the kids, like, realized that he was going to do it. And this kid becomes, like, a hero for eating the whole cake. And... Yeah, it was uh, pretty awesome. It was really good. So then we have the newt. We have the random telekinesis. Um, which is just explained by the fact that Matilda is so smart that her brain power is able to make objects move. Yeah, it's like she has so much... Oh, well, they explain that later, but, um, at, you know, near the end of the book, they Miss Honey kind of describes it as, well, maybe because you weren't doing with your brain what you could do, like, the <laughs> most with, it was all the excess coming out. Yeah, Matilda... Was you having these powers. Matilda took the pill from Limitless and... Um, <laughs> is now able to use 100% of her brain. (laughs) 100% juice. (laughs) Yes. um, So after the, after Matilda spills the water, she tells Miss Honey that it was her. And of course, Miss Honey is skeptical at first. So Matilda repeats this. They call it a miracle. She repeats this miracle with a second glass of water. And then they go to Miss Honey's cottage, which yes, indeed, this is my dream life. (laughs) Miss Honey's little cottage. It's, like, down a long path on a farm behind a gate. She doesn't even... Well, 
the way it was written is that she doesn't have a lock, but I like to imagine a cottage where I would never have to lock it, you know? Mm. That wouldn't that be yeah, nice? Yeah. Um, there are tall trees here and there, oak and sycamore and ash, and occasionally a sweet chestnut. Um, so they go into this cottage, which is not uh, as idyllic on the inside. Um, she has, like, no furniture. She has some crates that she sits on. Uh, she has a little camping stove. She doesn't really have groceries because she just eats lunch at school and then doesn't eat again until the next day, which made me really sad. Um, she gets her water out of a well. She serves Matilda some tea with margarine. <laughs> I laughed at this line. Margarine, Matilda thought. She really must be poor. Like, yeah. It's very judgmental about margarine. Yeah. <laughs> this on, I think, was my favorite part of the book. Like, this scene really enamored me to the book. Um, well, because I think it, like, it starts to pick up. Mm -hmm. Not that it was slow. I mean, it was slow. It was It's slow to get to the point where it is. But then it starts getting really, really interesting because there's more to the story than you think. Yeah. Like, this is where it gets real. Before this, it was just kind of like a lot of slapstick for kids, which is fine. Mm -hmm. But me, 25 years old, I was kind of like, okay. <laughs> sure. Uh, <laughs> and then we got to this point and, and Matilda and Miss Honey sit down and have tea and there's a lot of description of how, like, sensitive Matilda is being, which I really liked. Like, she's trying to be really mindful of Miss Honey, and she's trying not to, like, embarrass her because she can see that Miss Honey is so poor. Oh, it's something I did love, mm -hmm. um, is on their way to Miss Honey's house, like, after, like, when she invites her over and after the water incident and all that, the way that it describes how Matilda is, like, acting. Oh, she's like so precious. Acting like a child yes. for the first time in her life. She's like getting to be like excited about something and like jumping around and kind of like skipping as she walks and I really loved that description because it was like this entire time it's been like she's quiet and meek and doesn't say a lot and just reads her books and doesn't talk to anybody and is very smart. Mm -hmm. And then she finally gets to like open up and kind of, like, be who she wants to be. So I kind of love that. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that, because I loved... I, I thought that part was so sweet. So I have a, uh, the quote of Matilda getting excited, and it says, And now that they were alone, Matilda all of a sudden became wildly animated. It seemed as though a valve had burst inside her, and a great gush of energy was being released. She trotted beside Miss Honey with wild little hops, of, uh, wild little hops, and her fingers flew as if she would scatter them to the four winds, and her words went off like fireworks with terrific speed. It was Miss Honey this and Miss Honey that, and Miss Honey, I do honestly feel I could move almost anything in the world, not just tipping over a glass and little things like that. And then it keeps going on with that sort of talk, like, and it's really great. I, I love that. Um, so... We get to a chapter, uh, like, in the final fifth of the book called Miss Honey's Story. Um, and so Matilda is asking Miss Honey some questions, like, why is she so poor? She's asking, like, do all the teachers live like this with no furniture and no kitchen <laughs> stove? And I was like... <laughs> yes. Oh. <laughs> uh, um, 
But Miss Honey says no, she's the exception. And then Matilda um, kind of, like, keeps talking. She's like, oh, I guess you like living this way. And, you know, it's a very little kid thing. Like, she's not trying to be mean. She's just curious. And then she notices that Miss Honey is, like, really uncomfortable. And I just love this part. Miss Honey uh, reveals to Matilda that uh, when she was a little girl... Um, her mother died when she was very young. Her father was really busy and couldn't take care of her. And so her aunt moved in with them to take care. And her aunt was, like, cruel and awful and, like, treated her so unkindly. Um, and then her father died. The aunt, uh, became her legal guardian and, uh, the owner of her parents' house, um... It's implied that the aunt murdered her father. Yeah. And staged it as a suicide, which was very suddenly morbid to me. I was a little surprised yeah, by for that. a children's book. Yeah. Um, so here's the quote. Didn't they know how he died? Matilda asked. Well, not exactly, Miss Honey said, hesitating. You see, no one could believe that he would have ever done it. He was such a very sane and sensible man. Done what? Matilda asked. Killed himself. Matilda was stunned. Uh, and then later, I know what you're thinking, Matilda said. You're thinking that the ant killed him and made it look as though he'd done it himself. I am not thinking anything, Miss Honey said. One must never think things like that without proof. So that was wild. Um, yeah. But she describes that the ant was, like, terrifying and abusive and... I think it's implied, like, even physically abusive. Uh, Miss Honey says, Anyway, I was far too terrified to complain. I was her slave. Matilda says, Did she beat you? And Miss Honey just says, Let's not go into details. So Miss Honey talks about how uh, when she was 18, she goes into teacher's training um, because she was trying to get a job and trying to get independent from her aunt. But her aunt... Uh, <laughs> this is awful basically insists that Miss Honey, like, owes her a lot of money for raising her and buying her clothes and food and stuff, which is, um, you know, very, uh, common, like, controlling financial tactic. Um. <laughs> I have, I have no comment on this for my personal life. Um, and then she basically forces Miss Honey to sign this contract, so that Miss Honey's salary will go right into the aunt's bank account. And she will get one pound a week pocket money. Which is another, like, exaggerated, surreal thing uh, about this book. Um, but Miss Honey manages to find this cottage on a farm that she rents for ten pence a week. Which also sounds like a dream. Um, I would take that in a heartbeat and so miss honey's been living in this cottage for two years on one pound a week and the rest of her money is going to her aunt and then it reveals <gasps> her aunt is miss trenchbull uh-oh which plot twist that's a good plot twist that's a great dramatic reveal because it it puts everything else in like a different light everything that's happened yeah. so far <laughs> um, 
Matilda becomes kind of determined to help Miss Honey and help her escape uh, from Miss Trunchbull's domination. Um, she practices her telekinesis by <laughs> she gets a cigar and uh, practices levitating it. Which I was kind of like, did neither of her parents have anything to say about this cigar that was in her bedroom for like two weeks? Nah, <laughs> they don't care. Um, but after she learns how to levitate the cigar, she puts her plan into action. So the next time Miss um, Trunchbull visits to teach the class, Matilda uses her telekinesis to levitate a piece of chalk to the chalkboard. And writes, Agatha, this is Magnus, Magnus being Miss Honey's father, uh, give my Jenny, that's Miss Honey, give my Jenny back her house. If you don't, I will come and get you like you got me. I am watching you. That's <laughs> terrifying. <laughs> uh, Miss Trenchable is terrified. She faints. Um... And then after this, like, uh, ghostly message, uh, Miss Trenchable basically, like, skips town. Um, yep, she's just gone. Leaves the house she's... to Miss Honey. And then the last thing that happens, which happens very suddenly, Matilda returns home one day. Her parents are frantically packing, saying they're moving to Spain and that Matilda has to go with them. Uh, Matilda runs and runs to Miss Honey's house. She's like, hey, um, <laughs> if you tell my parents you'll adopt me, can you adopt me? And Miss Honey's like, uh, I guess so. Um, it's kind of uh, stated that um, the reason Mr. Wormwood is moving the family to Spain is because he's got caught, like, doctoring these vehicles and uh he's probably going to be arrested so he's running off to spain matilda and miss honey run back to their parents they say can matilda stay here with miss honey and the parents are just like sure and they leave and then it's the end yep <laughs> that's it and i felt bad for the brother i was like that poor brother like his sister's just gone yeah, but he, like, he's just chilling. Yeah, like, he doesn't His really parents... have a personality, so I don't feel that bad. But, um... <laughs> you still feel bad for a child who has parents that are so flippant like yeah. that and, like, don't actually care. So, that is true. I do feel bad for her brother in that regard. So the the but... brother gave a wave through the rear window, but the other two didn't even look back. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, yeah, so... That's Matilda. Like you said, it takes a long time for the actual plot of the book to, like kick off kick off and then it's just like over <laughs> that's the thing that kind of like i love the relationship between matilda and miss mm -hmm. honey and like the whole thing with the trunch bowl you know being her aunt and yeah it's so fun and i think they did a really good job in the movie of extending that yeah because they like have Matilda, like, sneak into Miss Trunchbull's house to, like, get chocolates and all this different stuff. <laughs> so they they add more 
drama and more suspense because it's a movie obviously but i think it was really lovely the way that they did it in the movie because it really does like go very quickly in the book at the end yeah and i want to re-watch the movie it's been a long time since i've seen it's it it's so good you be on your way <laughs> on my on my <laughs> i do like that song i would like to reach out my hand <laughs> yeah you get to hear that one you get to hear mm, 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 mm. <laughs> very like little bitty pretty one that's a very it's a, it's a soundtrack of the times I think yes <laughs> and it's so good <laughs> it's very iconic yeah it's good stuff uh yeah so that's the summary so um this one, it was a little bit shorter, so we kind of didn't talk about a lot of it, but some of the uh, main ideas or supporting lines, um, we read some of the supporting stuff. Um, I think a lot of the themes have to do with, like, children versus adults, yeah. and, like, being cruel versus being kind, good versus evil, those types of things. Um and, like, I mean, the thing that's really yucky, like, what you said, is that, like, ugly people are evil. <laughs> and, like, if you're really soft and quiet and bookish, like, you're a good person. Yeah. Like, that's unfortunate. <laughs> but, um... Uh... Also about just, like, I guess school in general and the importance of having a home away from home mm -hmm. as a kid... Because you may have a not-so-great life um, at home, and having that place, like, school, where there is somebody to support you. Right. I mean, as much as the trench bowl was awful, but, like, where there is a teacher like Miss Honey to support you, and to try to build you up, and to try to encourage you to do your best. Yeah. It makes a difference in a child's life. Um so I love that because it really taps, it taps into real life because it happens that school is this place for kids just to get to be themselves and to not feel any, like, judgment from the people that are taking care of them while they're there. Yeah. I think another uh, big theme, too, is, like, a brains versus brawn thing. Like, yeah, yeah. Miss Trenchbull is very, like, physically domineering and Matilda's, like so tiny and small but yep. she literally has enough brain power to levitate things and she's the one who wins in the end yeah and her dad is described i mean he's described as like short and stocky and that type of thing but that still is like he's still bigger than her and yeah he's like i'm smarter than you you're so dumb and like talking <laughs> down to her so that is like the brawn um yeah for sure I guess I think it would be um, suitable suitable for the classroom. It just depends on what conversations you're going to have. And I think between, like I said, between like third grade and fifth grade, a lot of the stuff would make more sense. Um, yeah. I think the way I feel about it is like, I think it's fine as a book to like offer for like independent reading. Yeah. But I feel like reading it to a classroom is going to like maybe alienate some kids who are, like, not the smart kids and make them feel kind of bad. Yes. 
Yeah, as a as a book study for the entire right. class, it probably isn't appropriate, but like for like a book report or for assigning like maybe a small book yeah. group or something like that. Or like that. a bedtime story. Um, maybe you could touch on the descriptions of the characters and how specific they are. You could touch on how awful these adults in Matilda's life are to her. Mm-hmm. Like these are the things that you can talk about and talk about how important school is and I mean the kids might not get that but they might understand some of it. Yeah. Um and it might help them realize that like looking at somebody even though they're like really smart and they're capable and they seem like they know more than you, they might not have the best home life. You know? Yeah. Um so I think that's a good thing to teach children that like just because you're smart or even like Miss Honey just because you're you're sweet and caring and you love your students, it doesn't mean that you're living in, like, a nice house. <laughs> like, you know, you're maybe you're living in the in a cottage in the woods and you have to scrape by, but you're still gonna go. And that's something I loved about Miss Honey, too, is, like, I think Matilda even makes a comment, like, why, why are you, you a teacher? Why don't you get a different job? And Miss Honey's like, but this is where I need to be. Mm-hmm. Like, this is what I want to do. They need me, kind of thing. Which is a very teacher- minded yeah thought (laughs) um you kind of you kind of love love it um yeah (laughs) for the amount of money um yeah that's all i'll say uh (laughs) i think one discussion i would do with this book um is maybe like because i feel like this is a book that really um tries to relate to kids in the sense that kids can feel very powerless in the face of adults Mm -hmm. and so I would maybe ask um you know what's something you can do that grown-ups can't do like what's what's like a special power that you have that's really I like that like what do you think your special power is and and maybe turn it into like a little bit of an empowerment thing yeah that's really awesome or even, say, if you see somebody doing something, like, that isn't kind, or that you don't believe is kind, like, what are you going to do? Mm-hmm. Are you going to stand up for the people around you? Are you going to stay silent? Like, going to get a newt? Going to get a newt? <laughs> Where can you find a newt oh. in your local ecosystem? <laughs> hey, teach about Yeah, just to make it holistic. So I think we've covered pretty much everything that we could cover with this book it's a short book it's a quick read like it took me maybe an hour and a half to read or something like that I don't know like it doesn't take very long Mm -hmm. to get through um but it's good I would recommend reading it take it with a grain of salt thinking about like the writing style and the descriptions of characters and all the things that we've talked about but it is it is a good book to read and I think like, the relationship between Miss Honey and Matilda makes you feel really good. Um, especially if you are an educator. It shows that, like, you caring and you wanting to help children and following this path in life, like, it's worth it. Because there's going to be that student that's like Matilda. or And not even just one student. I'm sure it's plenty of students that you're going to interact with. Yeah. That you're going to make such an impact on them that it's going to change their life for the better. Maybe you're not going to adopt them, but it's like, you'll, you'll make that impact and you'll be that person who's going to change their life. So, um, 
I still do think it's a, a really great book. Um, yeah. And the movie's great, too. I love the movie. <laughs> so, we have a uh, book to shout out this... I was about to say this week. I don't know why I always phrase it as if we are a weekly podcast. <laughs> this this month. month. Yeah. Um, and uh, if you are a black author with a book you'd like to promote, especially, like, uh, with a indie publisher, small publisher, or self-published, um, definitely reach out to us. Um, you can DM us, you can tweet at us, you can email us um, for a free little shout-out to our <laughs> very small audience. Um, so this book is called We All Need Therapy, which is an amazing title, first of all. Um, we All Need Therapy by... Uh, Lamar Neal. It says, uh, this is a collection of poetry about the author's struggle with religion, toxic masculinity, mm. family dynamics, mental health, racism, and more. I want to buy this. That actually sounds amazing. Yeah, that sounds awesome. And I love poetry. Um, it's only $10 for a paperback copy or $2.99 on Kindle. That's literally what I'm looking up right now. <laughs> so I think I'm going to read this. Um, yeah, I agree. It sounds really awesome. And I'm looking it up. Yeah. If, uh, like I said, if you have a book to promote, uh, give us a, give us a little message. We'll get to it next month. Yeah. And we, we just want to keep elevating voices and promoting um, authors who may not be promoted often and like michelle said we're not a big podcast <laughs> but we're just trying to do what we can with our platform so other than that what have you been reading summer so i started reading another ssyra mm -hmm. book the unicorn in the barn i have not gotten very far in it i'm gonna be honest um <laughs> but i did actually buy how to be anti-racist by abram x kendi um, and I watched a, what are they called? Like a online webinar mm -hmm. um, with him a couple weeks earlier. So it was last week, it must have been, where he talks about his new book, Anti-Racist Baby. It's a ch uh, children's book. I saw book. A, a, um, a picture of that. I thought it looked amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it's fantastic. Um, they only have it as a board book right now, so I can't get it for the library. Mm -hmm. Um from the company that I would order from, but I did get it as an ebook. So at least I have it in some form. Yeah. But after, like, actually, and I, I've heard of him before because he has another book called Stamped that um, he and Jason Reynolds wrote together. And Jason Reynolds is a YA author. He does, like, the Ghost series. Um, mm -hmm. uh, it's actually not called the Ghost series. That's just the first book is Ghost. Oh, I can't remember what the series is called. But he has, he has a series that he does and... He's a very famous YA author. Um, and so I was like, well, I really like him as a person. I like Jason Reynolds as an author, and I'm sure their book together is good, which actually I'm going to go ahead and just buy Stamped right now. Um, mm -hmm. But um, I wanted to also get How to Be Anti-Racist because I've heard only good things about it. And so I bought the ebook and it came with the audiobook as well so I'm excited to start that soon I just haven't started it yet but I do have it um yeah and I'm really excited to get into it I have been reading 
long books, so I was reading them last time, and they're going to take me a long time to get through, uh, which is not a very interesting thing to report. I was actually thinking about rereading this. This was a book I picked up totally at random uh, at a conference. So, you know how I love superheroes? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm very into superhero comics. DC only. Yeah, DC only. Thank you. That's an important fact about me. Not a Marvel <laughs> fan. Um I'm honestly sure that Marvel is, like, objectively better at this point in time, but... (laughs) Hey, DC has... Their animated stuff is so good. DC's animated is beautiful. I'm in a constant state of wanting to watch Under the Red Hood. Oh. Because it's such a good movie. Me but... Me but Return of the Joker. (laughs) Uh, Also very good. Uh, I just gotta get all the Batman Beyond I can get. Just come on. <laughs> uh, so this book is called Tales of the Astonishing Black Spark. It's by Charlie J. Eskew. I think that's... I assume that's how you pronounce it. Um, it's... It's just like a funny, satirical superhero novel. And I don't feel like there are enough superhero novels. I've read a couple. But... I, I just think it's it's territory that's not explored enough because I think that has so much potential, um, especially for, like, a satirical book. So the synopsis of this, this is from Lanternfish Press. My copy is signed, actually. Ooh! Among my collection of signed books. Um... Trapped in a dead-end job in his Ohio hometown, watching the girl of his dreams move on to a glamorous new life in the big city, Donald McDougal's aimlessness has held him back for a long time. When a lightning strike grants him superhuman powers, he jumps at his chance to finally be somebody. But the new abilities and the pursuit of superheroic fame come with a price tag, and it may not be the one he can afford. This ride debut is at once a fanboy's homage to the history of superhero storytelling in America and a keen-eyed satire of those same stories, raising questions about race and privilege that are becoming impossible to ignore. It was a fun read. I breezed through it the first time I read it, and I'm probably going to reread it soon. um, Because I've just got, like, a superhero itch I need to scratch. (laughs) And I'm I'm a little tired of comic books, so... uh, I think I think novel is going to be the thing. Yeah, that'll be great. So something else I wanted to say about Ibram X. Kendi was I learned when I was watching the webinar that I watched that he is actually created or like heading this anti-racist research center at Boston University. So you can look up mm. Boston University Center for Anti-Racist Research. It's pretty awesome that they're starting this. So says the mission of the BU Center for Anti-Racist Research is to convene varied researchers and practitioners to figure out novel and practical ways to understand, explain, and solve seemingly intraceable problems of racial inequality or inequity and injustice. We foster exhaustive racial research, research-based policy innovation, data-driven educational and advocacy advocacy campaigns, and narrative change initiatives. We are working toward building an anti-racist society that ensures equity and justice for all. So it's pretty awesome. And then the other little box on their website says, what is anti-racist research? Whereas racist research historically has posed the question, what is wrong with people? Anti-racist research now asks a different question, a better question. What is wrong with policies? Our belief is that framing research on race and racism around anti-racist questions leads to anti-racist narratives 
uh, effectively or effective policy solutions and impactful adv- advocacy campaigns that cut to the root of racial inequality, racial or racist policy. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really awesome. And it's uh, starting July 1st. Pretty cool that this is ha- happening at Boston University and maybe they can create the um, kind of, I'm trying to think of what it's called, like the image, I guess, of what having like an anti-racist research center on a college campus looks like yeah and then maybe they can bring yeah they can bring those to other schools so i thought that was really really great that that's something that he's involved in so he's going to be a professor and um heading this anti-racist research center and i just wanted to get that out there so if anybody wants to look into it or if there's a way to support and donate money to the research center that would be really awesome Mm -hmm. that's something that you sound interested in and yeah. promoting for the future. So the book I would like to read next month is Tuck Everlasting by <laughs> Dude, Natalie I literally Babbitt. just looked at that. Really? I just, yeah, my <laughs> eyes went straight to it before you said it. Same brain. All right, Tuck Everlasting. Here, I'll read the synopsis um, for anyone who has not read Tuck Everlasting. Oh, this, that's a good idea. This is one book I very specifically remember doing, like, a class read aloud in like third or fourth grade maybe fourth or fifth is eternal life a blessing or a curse that is what young winnie foster must decide when she discovers a spring on her family's property whose waters grant immortality members of the tuck family having drunk from the spring tell winnie of their experiences watching life go by and never growing older But then Winnie must decide whether or not to keep the Tuck secret and whether or not to join them on their never-ending journey. Is this Twilight? (laughs) As I was reading (laughs) that synopsis... We almost went one episode. (laughs) Without talking about Twilight, I know. But I I didn't intend to do this, but I think we're going to have a lot to say about Twilight when we talk about Tuck Everlasting. (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) I'm so, so I sorry. think I watched this movie, but I never read this book in school. I I also read it though in a children's lit class I took in college. So mm. um, I've had a couple times with this book, and I enjoyed it the last time I read it, which was a few years ago. So we'll see how it's aged in a period of like three or four years for me, and t- fresh material for you. I know it'll be nice. I don't think I've seen the movie. I saw it a long time ago, so, like, I have, when you were just reading that synopsis, I was like, oh, yeah, I remember watching this movie, <laughs> but, um, I don't have enough memory of it to be like, that was impactful for me. Yeah. So, it'll be nice to read the book. Yeah. All right, awesome. So, if you, if you want to read along, we're going to read Tuck Everlasting. If you want to suggest a book to us or get in contact with us, you mm-hmm. can, Follow us on Twitter or at us on Twitter at I've Read That Cast. You can send us an email at I've Read That Podcast at gmail.com and we will answer you, take your criticism, you know, constructive, uh, anything that you send our way. We'll try to make it better. If there's something that we're saying wrong, doing wrong, we want to correct that. Mm-hmm. We don't want to keep doing things wrong and saying things wrong. <laughs> so if, if there's anything that, um, if you have any opinions on anything, you can send us a message. If there's, um, oh, if you want us to shout out, you know, if you're a person of color or a black author that wants us to shout out 
your book, like Michelle said, just send us an email, tweet yeah. at us, or DM us on Twitter, and um, we will work with you on that. So thank you for listening to I've Read That. I'm Summer. I'm Michelle. Stay, Stay peachy, peachy, pony boy. boy. Okay. A little out of sync. Yeah, a little bit, but it's fine. I can fix that. <laughs> we'll get it in post. I'm gonna cut this out, but you were like, when you were like, what's something you can do that an adult can't do? And I was like, probably like a kickflip. Honestly. <laughs> <laughs> I'd break all my bones if I tried to do a kickflip. <laughs>